I'm going to do three messages. Christmas glory for those who have eyes to see it. And we're going to look at three uh, occasions in the scripture where, where people miss it. Where people don't see what's going on at Christmas. Because that still happens. And we're going to look and see some of the reasons why people don't have eyes to see the glory of Christmas. I said three because it hasn't really been mentioned much. So this morning... You've heard next Sunday about the Christmas Eve service, and I hope somebody tells you that there is a service at 10 a.m. Like Christmas morning, like always, on on the 24th, we'll have service here at 10 o'clock, and then the Christmas Eve service at 6. So on those three occasions, we're going to be looking at Christmas glory for those who have eyes to see it. This morning, the topic is why people love Christmas glory at a distance, but not so much close up. The text we're looking at is Luke chapter 2, 21 to 35. You know this story. Luke 2, 21 to 35. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, and I want you to notice just on the side how often the law of Moses is talked about. This idea, we've been looking at the last few Sunday mornings as we've worked through Hebrews, that, that this old sacrificial law and that old system was just a mistaken notion that people had. Everything that we're reading about Jesus has to do with adherence to that Old Covenant law. When the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, I would underline that, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord. That's two. Quote, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. So they came up, and to offer sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. That's three. A pair of turtle doves, two young pigeons. By the way, what did they do with those turtle doves and pigeons? They killed them. Okay. Now Brian Zahn says that's just, they got this idea from those old pagan deities. Here is the Messiah. He's coming. Fulfilling the sacrificial law. So God the Son obviously felt this was God's idea. Have I made that point? 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout. Waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. That's an interesting phrase. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, that's the 
fifth time the law is mentioned, and they're, they're circumcising him. Simeon took him, that's the baby, up in his arms and blessed God and said, 29, Lord, now you, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, not just Jews. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him, Mary and Joseph. And Simeon blessed them. And and I'm sure they thought that was it, because that's the end of the ceremony. And Simeon blessed them. And then, wait a minute, and said to his mother, and Mary probably didn't want to hear this, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall, note the order, for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, and and for a sign that is opposed. This is right out of the gate. Oh, and a sword is going to pierce through your own soul also. And the thoughts of many hearts are going to be revealed. Lord, help us as we come to this text. There's a difference between agreeing with the ideas and beholding and adoring and seeing glory in truths that we've known for so long. We, we, we don't want to believe in Jesus the way the devil believes in Jesus. We want to treasure and delight in what we see from your word this day. Come and open our hearts by your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. For the truly converted, there comes to the surface every year at this time, one of the strange happenings. It's not something everyone senses, but the thoughtful see it over and over again and ought to be amazed. And it's this, that people people generally love God and the idea of God well enough when he's left kind of undefined and vague, far enough out of the way so as not to be an inconvenience. Like the baby in the manger. The masses have this love-hate relationship with the meaning of Christmas and the baby in the manger. I mean, people all over the world, you can go through malls And you can hear, played, and sung, silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Round yon virgin, mother and child. Wait a minute! Virgins don't conceive and give birth. That's impossible. What's going on here? 
that kind of deep working through the logic, it would bring God too close to home. There would be life-altering implication. That's what I mean when I say people, they resist God close up, living, sovereign, reigning, invading, intruding, challenging, bending their cultural tastes, insisting. That kind of a God, not so much. You'll see it tonight. We'll have, we'll have this really big children's choir. And, and I get to kind of sit out there with you people. And, I, and I, last year, too, I, you look around and you watch the people and everybody just starts smiling. And you know what they're all thinking? They're all nudging each other, especially the women. Sorry, I know that's sexist. And you see them. Watch them tonight. See, see, over there. Look, look at him. You might see my grandson. He's the most brilliant of all of them up there. <laughs> but, but what happens is, and everybody smiles, and they all love it. But there'll be visitors here. And very few of them, they're going to, oh, look, uh, isn't that sweet? That's what they're going to do. They're not going to go, wait a minute. Virgins don't conceive. Who, who, who is this baby? What does that have to do with me? Does this change my thinking about God? Very few people will process that. This resistance to Jesus as Savior and Lord, it it keeps bubbling up to the surface in just repeated ways. Let me just give you some examples. By the way, I haven't really gotten to point number one yet. Persisting through the centuries, there is this view that there are many ways to God. All religions basically leading to the same place, saying the same thing. But then are there, are there no false religions? Are there no such things as religious errors? And if there are no errors, then Christianity must logically be true as well. And dead center in Christian faith is the conviction that Jesus Christ is the only way to God. Also, how do you explain those thronging masses who admire Jesus and say he was the greatest moral teacher, maybe the greatest spiritual teacher ever, and yet they refuse to accept what he said about himself and why he came into this world? And how can people hold such high regard and respect for Christ's virtuous life and his Sermon on the Mount and his teaching? How can can people so thoughtlessly separate what Jesus did from what he said about himself, who he was, why he came, how one receives eternal life. I mean, surely you you can't just look at a person's generosity and kindness and sacrifice without looking at his words. I know it's overworked, but C.S. Lewis, he was certainly right when he said either this was truly the Son of God or else a madman or something much worse. But let's not come with this prattering nonsense about him being the greatest moral teacher if he was lying about himself. 
So here we are. What we see in all of this is perhaps, it's not a bold denial as much as a selective tiptoeing around the message of Christmas. Baby Jesus gets a sentimental hug. A lot of people like the things he said. They like some of the wonderful things he did. But there's resistance when it comes to embracing who he was and what his message was. Now, the Bible actually speaks to this mixture of admiration and rejection when it comes to the way God self-discloses himself in Jesus. Why people resist God when he comes close up and makes himself fully understood. You see it in John chapter 3.19. These are the words from Jesus himself. This is the, notice that word, I want to point that out in a minute. This is the judgment. Light has come into the world. And this is, overall, the majority response. So light came, but people, people love the darkness. Rather than, it's deliberate, there's a choosing. Rather than the light, and then why, well, they're... See... Here's the problem we have with Jesus. He insists on telling us we're sinners. Notice that little word judgment. Some, some translations actually use the word verdict. This is the verdict. It, it, means, it means this is the strip everything away, go down to the bottom of the page. This is the bottom line. This is the conclusion. The end of the story. After all the arguments and evidence, after they've all been assessed... That's what verdict means. Verdict is the unescapable, factual result of a search for truth. Verdict is what you get when you strip away whim, feelings, emotion, tastes. Verdicts are what you reach when you sweep all that aside. And the verdict, the judgment, is this. Mankind, on the whole... Rejects Jesus. Not, not necessarily the baby in the manger. Not necessarily Christmas. But Jesus, God the Son. Rejects Jesus because, because the real truth about Jesus always challenges our sin and our need for divine grace. That's what the baby in the manger said when he grew up. All of this gets illustrated really tightly in this account of Simeon. And I know that was a long introduction, but we're like close to halfway done. Point number one. We should listen to Simeon because Luke tells us that the Holy Spirit was speaking through him. You get that in Luke chapter 2, 25 and 26. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. 
that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So, so Luke assures us that Simeon spoke words that were rooted in, in a divine revelation that was deeper than just the accumulated years he had spent on earth and in the temple. So somehow these, these are Simeon's words, but not just Simeon's words. That's what, that's what Luke is saying. He's righteous, he's devout, and he's longing to see God's Messiah. That's because he's old, and his years of experience in the religious world had taught him something important. He had been around long enough to see how totally corrupt religious observances could become, how proud people could be even after they offered their sacrifices. He had lived long enough to see how futile best intentions are to transform hearts. He was, he was longing for something more. He was, he was longing for fulfillment of divine promise of something deeper than all the religious exercises that he had been piling up over the years. That last point is important. Simeon knew he, he couldn't put his trust, and you can't put your trust, in your own natural integrity and devotion to be right with God. That's what Simeon learned. You, you can't fix you. And that's the reason he's been literally dying to see the Messiah. And, and God honors Simeon because God loves to be relied on, to be taken at his word. Okay, there's Simeon and the work of the Holy Spirit. Point number two. Simeon is one of the few who seems to have grasped the kind of mission the Messiah would establish. You see that in chapter 2, 30, 31, 32, and then verse 35. Simeon says, My eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people. A light of revelation, just notice, to the Gentiles... And for glory to your people, Israel. And, and a sword will pierce through. Mary, a sword is going to pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. We know Simeon saw at least two central truths that most people missed. Simeon recognizes right away that Messiah's salvation was a global salvation. So God was reaching out to everyone. Gentile and Jew. God was going to accomplish deliverance, redemption, salvation for all who wanted to receive it. This was, this was no uh, parochial uh, rescue mission on God's part. It wasn't selective. It wasn't limited. There were no boundaries of class or ethnicity. No one need be left out. That's what Simeon saw. And secondly, Simeon saw that this salvation was to be accomplished 
by the Messiah's suffering and, and death. And, and you, watch, you watch and see how this kind, gentle, old prophet... You ever get in one of those situations where you know something, should I, should I say it? He sees Mary. He's a gentleman. And, and Mary... Before you go, I've got to tell you, a sword is going to slice you open. It's going to pierce your heart. The thoughts of many people are going to be revealed. Mary, I don't know how much you, you, she knows, she knows there's something special about this baby, right? Mary knows she's a virgin. She's not dumb. This is not an ordinary birth. Does she see all of this? I mean, the angel had told her his name would be Jesus. He would save his people from his sins. The angel didn't say, and a sword is going to pierce your heart. And so Simeon sees all of this unfolding. Tells us something important. This old man, he's just starting to unpack our teaching title. Why why people love God far away, not so much close up. God is viewed differently when he closes in on a sinful world. When, when When he closes in lovingly and redemptively, not everyone would feel excitement. Now she sees this other truth coming into focus. Simeon is telling Mary, people people will admire God when they look up into the starry heavens. They won't admire him when he comes and says, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And Simeon says she'll be run through. That pain, of course, would be the horrible pain of seeing the world reject her son and the world crucify her son. Now, what we don't know from the text, not for sure, is where Simeon had learned all of this. Luke says the Holy Spirit was involved in revealing truth. So certainly God had made information available. Perhaps, perhaps Simeon, he could have poured over the words of the prophet Isaiah. He was bruised for our iniquities. Or maybe Simeon had studied the prophecies of Ezekiel. They shall look on me whom they have pierced. But we know Simeon saw, he grasped in some way what God was going to be doing in Jesus Christ. Point number three. More than anything, Simeon saw human pride would make it hard for most people to experience divine forgiveness and grace in Jesus Christ. You see that in verses 34 and 35. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall And then the rising of many in Israel. A sign that is opposed. A sword will pierce your own soul also. The thoughts 
from many hearts will be they'll be revealed. That's an interesting word. Something something will become obvious about people when they encounter Jesus. That's what Simeon's saying. You'll learn something important. You'll learn the most important thing you can know about anybody on earth when you see how they react to Jesus. With the coming of Jesus, our text says there would be an unveiling, a revealing. Of what? Simeon doesn't say. A revealing of our, our deepest, a revealing of our deepest loves. A revealing of our deepest ambitions. A revealing of what we honestly treasure. Notice hearts, in our hearts. So this isn't, this isn't a measuring of, you know, what people do in church. Hands raised, eyes closed, worshiping. That, that's outside, but the heart. We, we, we treasure things that aren't really worth treasuring. We marginalize the things that are really worth treasuring, and that's going to be revealed when Jesus comes and speaks to our hearts. The thoughts of many hearts Simeon says the insides of people's hearts would be exposed. Jesus would bring to the surface something very dangerous in mankind. And so it's just a baby. Simeon speaking prophetically over this little baby. And his words are about a distant future. Did it happen like that? Was Simeon right? How did this rising and falling of many? How did this, this sign that is opposed, how did this great revealing, the thoughts of the hearts, how did that all come about? Did it all happen that way? That's what we need to look at now. We need to look at the words of Jesus. So Simeon makes all these prophetic utterances, startling utterances, right? The baby is... Jesus was a real baby. So baby Jesus doesn't understand what Simeon is saying. He doesn't know the language. He doesn't know the words. He's a divine baby, but he's not a magical baby. So Simeon just, you can say whatever you want over a baby. If most of the people aren't going to be around to see the proof of your prophecy, how did this all pan out? Did it work this way? So now what we do is we look at what Jesus said about his coming and see if it lines up with what Simeon said would happen. Does that seem fair? John chapter 9. This is the same Jesus, but not the little baby in the arms of Simeon, but a man about to die, be crucified for the sins of the world. And, and here's what that same Jesus says about himself. He says, for judgment 
If you forget everything else, remember that word, because it's striking that he would say that. For judgment I came into this world. This I came, that's the incarnation, right? I mean, that's when, that's when Jesus came into this world. So Jesus is telling us the meaning of Christmas. That's what's happening here. For judgment I came into this world, and then he says that those who do not see may see. Kind of strange. Those who, those who see may become blind. Well, that, that, seems, that just seems cruel, doesn't it? Some of the Pharisees. Okay, so they hear these words, and what, what gives? Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, so, so are we blind? Is that what you're saying, Jesus? They sense an edge in his words. And look at Jesus' answer. If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. What's that mean? If we're alert this morning, we should find something strange and we should find something really disturbing in that text, I think. It should at least be confusing. In Jesus' first sentence, for for judgment, I came into this world. Does that sentence bother you a bit? Doesn't, Doesn't your mind immediately go back to those Beautiful, comforting words. They're right after the best-known verse in the Bible. John 3, 17. For God did not send his Son into the world to judge the world or condemn the world. But in order that the world might be saved through him. Some translations actually say, for God did not send his Son into the world to judge the world. Jesus, for judgment I came into this world. John 3, 17, God didn't send his son into the world to judge the world. And so we sit here this morning and we go, okay, like, do we have to get ink out and change something in our Bibles? And now we're right, we're right on the edge. We're right on the sharp, powerful edge of old Simeon's words. I want you to look at them again. In Luke 2, 34 and 35. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child appointed is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. For a sign that is opposed, so that thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. Make, make these words big enough. Hear them big enough. This is Simeon looking at nothing but a little baby, prophesying that that the most important thing about every human being on the planet, Jew, Gentile, that's everybody, the most important thing is is about to be revealed, is about to be brought to the surface. It's going to float to the top. 
in exposure to Jesus, the Christ. Or, or to say it differently, it is upon exposure to the truth of Jesus Christ, God the Son, and the purpose of his coming at Christmas, dying Good Friday, rising Easter Sunday. It's in response to those facts that the most important thing about every human being is going to be brought to light. And in John chapter 9, the adult Messiah, he says exactly the same thing. In, in, in uh, John, remember I showed you John 9, 39 to 41, for judgment I came into this world. That those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Are we also blind, the Pharisees? Jesus, well, if you, if you were blind, you'd have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. So in closing, we need to confront our earlier question. John 3.17 says God didn't send his son into the world to judge the world. John 9, 39, the Son himself says, For judgment I came into this world. So, Pastor Don, where does this leave us? 3.17, for God did not send his Son into the world to judge the world. 3.17 of John means that God never had any intentions of coming to a sinful, fallen, broken, needy world to rub Don Horban's nose in his sin and to say, I'm coming to get you. He was entitled to. But the Father says, I didn't, I didn't send the Redeemer for that purpose. And the whole church said, right. His coming into this world was gracious. His coming into this world was a rescue mission. His coming into this world was a redeeming mission. He, he, Jesus said... He came into this world the same way a doctor goes to sick people. I love that. Doctor doesn't go to sick people just to say, Yaha, see, sick. Hope you get what's coming to you. That's the good news of the gospel. I came to sinners the way a doctor comes to sick people. I didn't come to judge. John 3.17. What about this John 9.39? Because that's where we really have to focus some attention. Because that's what Simeon was talking about. Where Jesus says, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and people who say they see just fine, they're going to be blind. So, so Jesus is describing an inevitable process. Jesus, he affects this judgment like Simeon prophesied just by his presence. It's not a pronouncement. It's a process. And then, and then Jesus clarifies in, in strong words, strong Christmas words. He says, 
you know what, just, just my coming, just my coming, it affects changes in two directions. First, people who didn't see, people who walked in darkness, there's a great light. People who didn't see start to see. They, 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 they see they can't remake their own hearts. They're humble. They see they aren't oriented toward eternity. They see they've been cherishing and treasuring the wrong things. That's very hard for us to admit. We have idolatrous hearts. All of us in this room. We, we, we manufacture idols prolifically. Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Idolatry grows in the human heart like lard on a pig. Isn't that a great saying? I love it. But people will start, some will start to see this. They'll see that Jesus died for their sins. They'll they'll just start to see that their presumed goodness, that's their own form of pride, and it hides their own sin. They start to see this as they consider Jesus. They're blind, and they start to see. I hope that's you. I hope that's you today. Then Jesus said, there's another group of people. I can't help them. There's another group of people who think they see just fine. Jesus says they become increasingly blind to their own darkness, their own hopelessness. There are people like that in this room. There have always been people that shut out the light of gospel truth by pretending to themselves that it's not as important as the preacher is trying to make it sound. Service will soon be over. I can go home. They pretend. They pretend. They pretend to themselves that they have no urgent, immediate need to to participate in this great saving work of Christ. This is the worst kind of judgment, this process. Jesus told these self-approving people, he said, he said their, their guilt, see that? That's the word, remains, remains. Take note of that word. This isn't where their guilt started. It's not just where it occurred, it's, it's, it's where it remains. Instead of being pardoned, it just sits there. It gets heavier. It gets darker. It gets more entrenching. It gets harder to get out of. It gets justified in our own minds, in our own arguments. Jesus says his words carry their own power, their own energy. People become blind to their true spiritual condition and their eternal need. Listen to me. As this process unfolds, you, you, don't, you don't have to feel you're a sinner to be a sinner. These words mean that you have a deep need for Jesus. That in its most desperate form, manifests itself in this way. 
you no longer feel you need Jesus. The people who see, what do they become? They, they, don't, they don't see it. The most desperate manifestation of that judgment is people don't think it applies to them. This is the blindness that simply comes from mentally passing on Christ as Redeemer. Is that you? Is that you this Christmas as you sing about the little baby in the manger, as you stare God incarnate in the face, that, that, that your guilt remains even if you have no longer eyes to see your own guilt? And you become locked into your sinful self even though you no longer feel locked into your sinful self? Oh, don't let your blindness remain. Don't let your blindness remain. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth and he talked about unbelievers and he says the God of this world has blinded the minds of, un- blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the glory of the gospel of Christ. Is he winning in your life? Is he blinding you to it? Nothing would make me happier than say, just go home and have a nice time and peace on earth, goodwill to men. Group hug. The problem is the the baby whose birth we're celebrating said, here's why I came into this world. People who are aware of their darkness. I'm like a doctor for the sick. But people who refuse to think about it, they become blind to their need. And it all gets revealed at this glorious season of Christmas. Let's pray.